Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie, and tonight we've got another episode of Talk Back for you. In our Talk Back episodes, we listen to a sermon, podcast, or other audio from a well-known pastor or teacher, and then break in with our commentary as we compare his or her teaching to the Word of God. These episodes will be mostly unscripted and spontaneous, so apologies to our listeners who like to read our scripts, but if you want to read this and future episodes of Talk Back, I'm afraid you'll have to head on over to our YouTube channel and read the captions there. Yes. And we also want to remind you that the goal of our talkback episodes is to help you learn to listen with a discerning ear and to think critically and biblically about teachers and materials which purport to be Christian. Uh, But I promise you, ladies, we are not attacking or slandering or nitpicking. We love you and we truly want to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And of course, not to be deceived. Well, Michelle, with that, why don't we dive in? As many of you know, several months ago, uh, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church retired as the pastor of his church in uh, Lake Forest, California. And although he leaves a long legacy of false teachings and that kind of thing, we're going to focus our attention today on his newfound egalitarian beliefs. And let me explain a little bit. Uh, And we are going to put links in our show notes today uh, that will share with you some of the concerns and the red flags Michelle and I have both talked about before. And I've been studying Rick Warren for uh, more than a decade now and uh, reporting and warning about him. Um, But again, I'm, I'm sure he's a very nice person, but uh, his teachings and his actions have uh, really led people astray. So that's where we're coming from in this program tonight. But a couple of years ago, Saddleback, his church, ordained three women as pastors. And prior to his retirement, Rick named Andy and Stacy Wood, a husband and wife team, as the new co-pastors of Saddleback. Now, as a result, the Southern Baptist Convention recently disfellowshipped or uh, cut ties with Saddleback. Well, in today's talkback, we're listening in to part of an interview that Rick did with Russell Moore. Now, he's the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, and they recently talked about the scriptures that Rick discovered that supposedly support the idea of women filling all of the same roles in the church as men. So if you'd like to listen to the entire interview, we've got the link in our show notes. All right, Michelle, are you ready for our first clip? I am ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> All right, here we go. Because I believed the way they did until three years ago. And I actually had to change because of scripture. Culture could not change me on this issue. Antidotes could not change me on this issue. Pressure from other people would not change me on this issue. What changed me was when I came to con- confrontation with four scriptures nobody ever talked about that I felt had strong implications about women in ministry. And nobody had ever shown it to me. I knew the Titus passage. I knew the the the, the Timothy passage. I knew First Corinthians. And I and every time people say, "Why don't you have women pastors?" I say, "Show me a verse. You give me one verse, you know, I'll, I'll consider it." Because I'm a Bible guy. Okay, so Michelle, what did you think? Um, he is not a Bible guy. He is a Bible twisting guy. I mean, first of all, he says culture couldn't change me. 
<clears throat> this is the guy who started off his entire ministry by going door to door surveying lost people about what they wanted in a church, even though Mr. Bible Guy already had the pastoral epistles and the rest of the New Testament to tell him how to run the church. And then, uh, you know, earlier in the interview, he talks about how they intentionally left Baptist out of the name of Saddleback Church. I mean, this guy is always responding to the culture and taking his cues from the culture. He does, and he actually learned that uh, he's a protege of a man by the name of Peter Drucker, who wanted to create this consumer-driven megachurch model, and Rick Warren was one of the main pastors that Peter Drucker used to create this. And and uh, as you can see in the United States and around the world, that, that model is alive and thriving today. Unfortunately, that's not, in most cases, the true church when it comes from that, that consumer-driven uh, type of model, uh, you know, asking uh, people who aren't even saved what they would want in a church. So uh, I agree, Michelle, that's uh, that's actually very dangerous. He also said something interesting. He said, uh, scriptures uh, that he found for scriptures that nobody had ever shown me. You know, he's been a pastor for more than 40 years and didn't know that these passages supposedly support women pastors, that somebody had to show him this. You know, this is really evidence, Michelle, that he's really not biblically qualified to be a pastor. Yeah. And you know, you know what they always say, the old saying, if it's new, it isn't true when it comes to the Bible, right. when it comes to Bible study. I mean, how, it, that's just a general statement, obviously. But, um, you know, when somebody comes up with an off the wall interpretation of these passages like that, you have to, and, and this person has been a so-called pastor for over 40 years. Um, you got to kind of wonder, is this true since since it's new? And then another thing about that is that he he completely dismisses. He says, I know the Titus passage. I know the the Timothy passage. I know the first Corinthians passages. Well, great. Maybe you should be reading those and, and you know, aligning your church with those since Titus and Timothy, the first and second Timothy, those are the pastoral epistles. Those are explicit instructions to pastors about how to run the church. Our listeners have probably heard me say this before, that the, the pastoral epistles are kind of like the policy and procedure manuals for the church, you know. Um, but since he he just brushed those passages off, and maybe our our listeners don't have those memorized, let's let's go over those real quick. Uh, just the I'll I'll quickly read the pertinent parts of those passages. The and I of course I'm going to assume that these are the passages that he's talking about because he didn't name any chapters and verses. So <laughs> let's uh, let's look at um, the pertinent parts of Titus two three through five. It says older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Okay, so older women are to teach younger women. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 3, 7, just a few snips from that passage there. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. An overseer must be the husband of one wife. That's definitely a man there. And all of the, the pronouns in that uh, chapter three passage, chapter three, one through seven, those are all male pronouns, you know, and the qualifications for pastors. He, his, him. It doesn't say she anywhere. 
And then 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 35 says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Yeah. And Michelle, I, I know our listeners will remember when we talk about how to uh, read scripture, especially when you think about these things that are that people argue over sometimes, it's very helpful to read descriptive passages describing, you know, history or what took place, and then prescriptive passages, which mean, you know, they're prescribing something or commanding something. And the, the scriptures that you just read are prescriptive passages, the commands right. and instructions that uh, most clearly speak to the issue of women teaching and exercising authority in the church. And Rick doesn't even discuss them. He really, like you said, dismisses them in favor of the three descriptive passages he's about to mention, uh, extremely poor hermeneutics for a pastor of more than 40 years. And he should know better. We build doctrine on the clear passages and not the unclear ones. All right, let's go on to that next clip. All right, here it is women. Nothing else could have studied it as I came upon three different scriptures. First, the Great Commission. Now, Baptists, Southern Baptists like to call ourselves Great Commission Baptists. Mm -hmm. And we claim that we believe the Great Commission is for everybody. Both men and women are to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, not really you don't believe that because it says there are four verbs in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Women are to go. Women are to make disciples. Women are to baptize. And women are to teach, not just men. Now, this is one of the reasons why Saddleback has baptized more people than any church in American history. 57,000 adult baptisms in 43 years. Why? Because in our church, if you win them to Christ, you get to baptize them. So if a mom wants to baptize her child or a wife wants to baptize her husband that she led to Christ, anybody can baptize anybody they led to Christ. 57,000 baptisms. It's the liberation, the emancipation of every member as a minister that truly we believe in the priesthood of the priest most of the time instead of the priesthood of the believer. Now, great commission, go make disciples, baptize, teach. You can't say, well, the first two are for men and women, the last two are only for men or maybe just ordained men. That's eisegesis. That's I, you, you got a problem. Who authorized women to teach? Jesus. All authority is given to me, therefore teach. All authority is given to me, therefore baptize. You got a problem with the Great Commission. Michelle, in the um, words of my Minnesota ancestors, all I can say is oofda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's funny. He said, um, I just realized he said this. He said, if you're uh, saying that w uh, women can't carry out part of the Great Commission, that's eisegesis. This whole spiel that he's giving about uh, the Great Commission somehow governing the role of women in the church, that's eisegesis because it doesn't talk anything about the role of women in the church in um, in the Great Commission. Um, the, the passage doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't say anything about women pastoring, preaching, or exercising authority in the church, while the passages that he previously dismissed do. Yeah. Did you notice that? 
I did notice that, you know, um, yes, both men and women are to fulfill the Great Commission. What he said there, that part was true. And God has given us further instruction in the Titus and Timothy and First Corinthians passages, you know, that he, he knows how men and women are to, to fulfill the Great Commission. But you know what, uh, Titus too, pastors, older men and women, younger, men and women, slaves, etc. Yes, we are all to fulfill the Great Commission. We are we are all to make disciples. But as we just read in Titus 2, as you mentioned earlier, Michelle, yes, women are to teach other women what is good. And and we do that discipling every day. So I, I just don't understand how he can say that, uh, that this is all eisegesis when he is reading his own interpretation, his own opinions into this. Yeah, I I don't get that either. That if he does know the Titus 2 passage, then he knows that there are a variety of ways that we carry out the Great Commission, both inside and outside the church. You know, not every man is qualified to be a pastor, but pastors carry out the Great Commission one way. The older men in Titus 2 train the younger men and, and help set a good example for them, and they carry out the Great Commission in another way. Also in Titus 2, women carry out the Great Commission by teaching other women. Um, slaves, you know, they are to set a good example by being obedient to their masters. So there are all kinds of different people in the church as Christians, and we all carry out the Great Commission in the way that God has explained to us in the pastoral epistles how we're supposed to do it. He's basically saying that anyone can fulfill the Great Commission any way they want to. Well, no, like I just said, God gives specific instructions later in scripture about how the Great Commission is to be carried out. It's, it's almost like this. It's, it's like the command, um, to be fruitful and multiply. Okay. God gives specific instructions. One man, one woman married to each other for life. That's how you be fruitful and multiply. Not a man going and sleeping with as many women as he can or, or something like that outside of those instructions that God gives us for being fruitful and multiplying. It's the same thing here. God gives us those instructions on how he wants us to carry out the Great Commission. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about the, the ordinances of the church. Baptism is one of the ordinances of the church, like the Lord's Supper, that is to be administered by pastors and elders, the shepherds, the gatekeepers responsible to God for and entrusted by God with guarding and caring for the flock of God. Now, baptism is connected to our entrance into the church family and covenant. You know, it's not connected to whoever shared the gospel with you. Um, it's like saying, well, you know, my five-year-old can uh, baptize you. <laughs> It's like, no, no, this right. is this is for certain roles. So, <laughs> yeah, it really is. And you know, think about it. Also, the original audience of the Great Commission passage in Matthew twenty eight was who? It was the disciples who were going to you know the become the apostles. They were men. They were going to be, if you will, pastors uh, in the embryonic church. They were they were not exactly pastors, but they were the closest thing to pastors that we know of, you know, in Acts and all that when the church was just getting started. Women's pr- participation in the Great Commission, like we've just been saying, it ha- is governed by Titus two three through five. So we look back to Titus two three through five, and and we can see the various components of the Great Commission in Titus 2, 3 through 5. Go, like he was saying, go, make disciples and teach women are all reiterated in Titus 2, 3 through 5. 
but baptize is not. And just like you said, um, our pastors, our elders are responsible to God for who they admit into the church. And baptism, now, my Presbyterian friends, I love you, but I'm speaking as a Southern Baptist right now and as a Credo Baptist. Um, baptism is our entrance, like you said, Amy, into the church covenant, the church family. It's, it's the, uh, sign and symbol uh, uh, through your obedience that you are saved. And pastors before God are not to allow unsaved people to become quote unquote members of the church. So, you know, women, men who aren't pastors and elders, they shouldn't be baptizing pastors and elders should. So yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Yes. Well, uh, let's go to our next clip. Here it is. The second thing that changed my mind was the day of Pentecost. Two things happened on that day. We know the first day of the church, the church is its birth, is the church at its best. On that day in, at Pentecost, we know women were in the upper room. We know women were filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We know that women were preaching in languages that other people couldn't hear to a mixed audience. We know women, it wasn't just men. Women were preaching on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that? Because Peter felt obligated to explain it. Hmm. And so in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 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 17 and 18, he goes, guys, these people aren't drunk. What you're seeing was foretold by Joel. It was going to happen. And And so he explains why you're now seeing women preaching on the very first day of the church. Uh, You know, Amy, I was thinking the other day, and this might sound a little harsh to some of our listeners, but I I hope they'll, they'll give me a hearing and give this some thought. But I was thinking, you know, God gives his servants spiritual gifts to use for serving him. And I, I wonder if it's not too far fetched to think that maybe Satan also gives some sort of demonic gifts to his servants and and they are his servants second corinthians eleven fifteen calls them certain ser- calls false teachers servants of Satan, but I wonder if he gives some sort of demonic gifts to his servants for the purpose of serving him because Rick Warren is absolutely gifted at tearing down and remodeling scripture and building it back up according to his own design for his own purposes. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, that that whole, it it, it was just an astounding um, statement to make. And, and when he said the church at its birth was the church at its best, you know, if you give that about two minutes of thought as you mentally scan the New Testament, if that were true, they wouldn't have needed all those epistles rebuking them for the things like the circumcision party, the Colossian heresy, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, a church member sleeping with his father's wife, etc., etc. The church at its birth was actually chaotic and wild and undisciplined, and that's what everything after Acts is all about. So, yeah, it's uh, it was just a really interesting statement he made there. Oh, my goodness. I'd, I want to encourage our listeners, don't just let that stuff go by you. Think about it. When he says, um, you know, he makes this little statement, the church at its birth was the church at its best. You know better than that. You've read your New Testament. Don't believe him on something like that just because it's a catchy little catchphrase. And... <laughs> 
Goodness gracious. And also his statements about, um, we know this, we know that. Do we really know that? Don't believe him just because he says that. Go to the scriptures and look those things up. That's what I did when we were getting ready for this show. Um, I went to, to Acts 1 and 2, where he's saying we know this about the upper room and all this stuff. Let's take each of his statements real quickly. Um, he says, we know women were in the upper room. Okay, that's true. That's in Acts 1.14. I can give you chapter and verse on that because that's true. Then he says, we know that women were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not on the day of Pentecost, they weren't. I mean, we don't know that for sure. There's some time that passed. You got to remember that all of this, these actions take place over some time. So there's some time that passes between Acts 1.14, which tells us that women were in the upper room, and Acts 2, 1 through 3, where the Holy Spirit comes and rests on them in tongues of fire. Acts 2, 1 through 3 says they were there. They were filled, blah, blah, blah. It's all, all they, they, they. And so that's a, a pronoun that needs an antecedent. You know, you need to know who they is. And the closest antecedent to the they in Acts 2, 1 through 3 is the disciples in at the end of chapter 1, because that's where they're electing Matthias to replace Judas. So that's the closest antecedent possible to the beginning of, of Acts, where it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them. And there's no mention of women being with the disciples when they're replacing Judas with Matthias. Um, you know, this this is the... The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament sense, you know, um, the Acts is a transitional book. Okay. From they're transitioning from Judaism to Christianity. It's, it's informative for the church, but it's not normative for the church today. Don't go into Acts, find something that the embryonic church did and go, Hey, we should be doing this in the church today, unless it is supported by clear prescriptive scripture. So when we look at the the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, just right here at the beginning of Acts chapter two, this is the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament sense, which is what they would have known. Remember, this is their transitioning here, where uh, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to specific people at specific times for specific purposes. The Holy Spirit came on the, the 12 disciples, apostles, because they were about to go out and preach. Um, you want to take those last two? I don't, I feel like I'm spending the whole time talking. <laughs> Amy, what about, did you have any reactions to those other things that he said about, we know this, we know that? Oh, yes, Michelle. I think, I think probably the most shocking thing he said was that, you know, we know that women were preaching in languages other people couldn't hear to a mixed audience. Um, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. We know nothing of the sort. The, the text doesn't say that at all. You know, Rick Warren just made that up. It, it's there. There is more evidence that the apostles were preaching. Uh, in that culture, by the way, if women had been preaching, that would have been a distraction and a detraction from the message. Women weren't even considered reliable witnesses in court. Why would they have been believed? So I, I don't even know where in the world he got that women were preaching at all in, in that, in that statement. And then he says, how do we know this? Well, because Peter explains in Acts 2, 17 and 18, why they're seeing women preaching. Well, no, Peter doesn't 
explain that at all. He explains that this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. We can read about that. He, uh, Joel's prophecy, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. My male and female servants shall prophesy. Prophesying and preaching aren't the same thing. And again, this descriptive passage does not override the clear prescriptive commands in the pastoral epistles against women preaching and pastoring. Oh, and also verse 17 begins in the last days, not on the Pentecost this one day. So the last days started with the ascension of Christ and will continue until Christ returns. Right. And so, you know, it's still true. The Holy Spirit is still uh, uh, coming to people who get saved and, you know, all of these other things. People are prophesying in the sense, the Old Testament sense that uh, the old, think about what the Old Testament prophets did. They said, thus says the Lord, and they brought God's word to the people. Does that sound like anybody you know? Hopefully it sounds like your pastor. So the, yes. we are still having um, prophesying in that sense of foretelling, not foretelling. Um, and so all these things are still taking place. So um, yeah, this is... Uh, I don't know how much, how much more of this I can listen to, Amy. But we must. <laughs> he is just such a scripture twister. Listen, don't just take somebody's word for it just because, you know, they're a pastor, they have a string of seminary degrees behind their name or whatever. You check whatever they say against the word of God, because God's word is our measuring stick. God's word is our authority. And God's word is always right. Amen, <sighs> sister. Okay. I I don't know if I can take much more of this, but let's hear that next clip. <laughs> yes, we shall press on. Here it is. And then the third thing that changed my mind, see, none of this had to do with culture. Mm-hmm. It had to do with scripture. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that the very first sermon, the very first Christian sermon, the message of the gospel of good news of the resurrection, Jesus chose a woman to deliver it to men. He had Mary Magdalene go and tell the disciples. Now, that clearly wasn't an accident. It was an intentional. It's a whole new world, baby. Now he has a woman go tell the apostles. You got on, Can a woman teach an apostle? Evidently did it on the first day. He chose her to be the first preacher of the gospel. Oy vey. Okay, my Minnesota relatives never said <laughs> oy vey, but I'm saying it now, Michelle. That that is just outrageous. That that is uh, amazing, astounding. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I I'm gonna let you go first because I just don't. I can't even wrap my head around this. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing, <laughs> Mary Magdalene. The other ladies who were there who ran and and told the uh, uh, disciples. They were not preaching. They were reporting. They were telling what had happened. That's right. Hey, guys, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus isn't dead anymore. Oh, man, that's not preaching. And that's not teaching them either. That That is sharing a news report, basically. Um, listen, the church didn't even exist yet when women at the tomb saw Jesus resurrected. And uh, they ran back to tell the disciples all about it. But still, like I said, Michelle, this was not preaching or teaching or holding authority over the disciples. Right. Even in a non-church setting where they were, this was a private conversation between friends. It was giving an eyewitness testimony of what they had seen and carrying a message from Jesus to his disciples like he asked them to do that. 
There was no commentary or instruction from the women to the disciples, just a report on what they had seen and a message of where Jesus and the disciples would eventually meet up. And really, don't people usually see messenger boys or girls as subservient to the people they are carrying messages between? Where's this authority that Rick Warren speaks of? I'm not seeing it. Because it's not there. You can't see what's not there. Rick Warren is flat out lying when he calls this a sermon. I mean, if what the women said to the disciples uh, when they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, if what they said to the disciples was a sermon, then if I see a car accident on my way home and my husband's men's Bible study group is in our living room when I get home and I tell them about the car accident that I've seen, that's a sermon. You can't just make everything into a sermon because you want it to be, because you want this verse so badly to support your twisted idea of what the role of women is supposed to be. It's, it's ridiculous. It's evil. He's lying. I, you know, I'm sorry if, if anybody thinks that's harsh, but that is what it is. He is sinning. Jesus never at any time from eternity past to eternity future, including at his resurrection, has ever or will ever choose a woman to preach a sermon to men. Never. You know why? Because he himself forbids it in his written word. And Jesus doesn't contradict himself. If he did, he would cease to be God. No, women did not teach the apostles at any time. No, Jesus did not choose Mary Magdalene to be the first preacher of the gospel. Those are lies. Ugh. You know, you know, Michelle, I know you said that you couldn't handle one more, but I think you can. I, <laughs> I have full confidence that you can do it. Ready? Okay, I'm, I'm ready. All right, here we go. So you would, after the last three years, uh, you would support... Uh, men and women as elders, a senior pastor, as, as everything within the church? I, I would, I would, I would, but I, but here's what I'd say. Be, because I have to say, this is my interpretation. Mm-hmm. I have to say with humility, it doesn't bother me if you disagree with me. Um, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I have just four things to say in response to that. Rick, It's not your interpretation of these passages. It's your misinterpretation of them. You don't have a humble bone in your body. You do care whether or not we agree with you, or you wouldn't be on that podcast trying to convince us of what you believe and why it's right and we're wrong. And we do most strenuously disagree with you because God disagrees with you. He plainly says so in his word. And that's all I've got to say about that. (laughs) <laughs> well, and what's really interesting is that he's just, you know, our God is not a God of confusion. Right. And he's just confused everybody. And then he ends it by saying, well, I could be wrong. What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you, you are wrong, but I, I could be wrong. But he's just spent, you know, this whole last interview telling Russell Moore that this is the way it is and that women should be able to preach. And then, then he humbly says that he could be wrong. Why in the world would a pastor so confusion like this? It, it is, like you said before, Michelle, it, it's just wicked. It really is. And look, I would encourage, you know, just a little, put a little plug in here. Our, um, for our Southern Baptist listeners, 
I really want to encourage you to show up, if at all possible, for the Southern Baptist Convention in June in New Orleans. I'll be there. Come say hi to me if you can find me, and I'll try and find you. But you need to come to the Southern Baptist Convention as a messenger so you can vote, because we just told you earlier that Saddleback has been disfellowshipped from the SBC and Rick Warren is going to, uh, is going to challenge that. And you need to be there to vote against him because this is going to be a watershed moment in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's going to be historic. Um, and I think what is going to end up happening is that this whole issue about Saddleback being removed from fellowship, that's going to be the way that they are going to, um, sort of put the camel's nose under the edge of the tent with getting, with allowing women to preach and probably, and pastor as well, and, uh, probably make that official, you know, that that's officially okay in the Southern Baptist Convention not too long after this year's Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting in June. So please be there if you can possibly be there. Talk to your pastor about being a messenger and find a way to get down to New Orleans this year and and please come and vote. Yes. And, uh, you know, for all of us, ladies, I would just encourage you to reread the biblical prohibition about women teaching and preaching and having authority over men in church. Uh, just go ahead and read First Timothy uh, chapter 2 in its mm-hmm. entirety, the instructions to the church. Um, and keep reading past Timothy uh, 2.12 because, you know, the biblical prohibition isn't because Paul didn't say, but it's a cultural thing. It's just for this one church in this right. one period of time. He didn't say it was about the culture. He actually went back to the book of Genesis. Uh, he's, this is what, this is why he says, because Genesis. And so mm-hmm. go ahead and read that in context. And then I, I would just remind our listeners too, uh, preaching or having authority over men in the church is not women sharing the news that Jesus is no longer dead, but alive. It's not women teaching other women. It's not women posting things online on social media or in their blogs. And it's not women sharing the gospel with the lost. We are all to do that. We're talking about women rebelling against scripture and men like Rick Warren too, by the way, who also insert themselves into the biblical definition of preaching and pastoring. This is a task and an office reserved for biblically qualified men who exhort and instruct the saved inside the gathering of the church body in the ecclesia. And remember, Michelle, it wasn't that long ago when Rick Warren was allowed to speak at the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I think it might have even been last year, and he delivered what he mm-hmm. called that so, so-called yeah. love letter that he called it. Uh, and he said that women preachers yeah. is a secondary issue and that we shouldn't be arguing about these things. Well, you know, this isn't really a secondary issue either. And as we've said before, Michelle, it's not even a primary issue, is it? Right. It's It doesn't fall into the uh, theological triage categories of primary, secondary, and tertiary issues. It falls into a completely different category, a completely different paradigm of sin. Just like you'll never hear someone ask, is murder a, a primary, secondary, or tertiary issue? You know, is adultery a primary, a tertiary, or secondary, tertiary issue? Women preaching to men is a sin, just like those other sins. It's not, you know, it's not on the same level as, you know, do we sprinkle babies or do we immerse believers? Or, you know, what's your eschatology or anything like that? 
So yeah, it's, it's not. And, um, and I just want to add on to something that you were saying a second ago about, I agree, you know, read, read through those, those passages, uh, especially first Timothy two and three and Titus one, uh, that includes the qualifications for pastors being men and everything. And look, Thank God that you don't have to do that. I mean, we are so busy as it is. We are raising the kids. We are making the meals. We are keeping the house. We are, we've, we're teaching women at church. We're teaching children at church. Should we really have to be responsible for pastoring and teaching the men as well? We are busy. We are tired. We have enough to do as it is. This is God's blessing to us that we don't, in addition to all the other things that we have to do, we don't also have to take onto our shoulders the responsibility for the church. Let the men do that. They need something to do. You know, <laughs> they need a role in the church as well. They, we shouldn't have to, um, and we shouldn't want to take all of that on our shoulders, in addition to all the other stuff God has already called us to do. It is a blessing that he has excused us from from those responsibilities. So think of it that way. Yes. In fact, ladies, if you want more about this, if you want to hear what uh, we've actually we've flushed this out even more in some previous podcast episodes, including one that you, we kind of alluded to, and that was, is women uh, preaching a secondary issue? A uh, whole entire, I think we almost went an hour on that one. I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. we're going to include that in our in our show notes today as well. So you can go back and listen to that if you haven't heard that one. And uh, I think that's going to wrap things up for another Talk Back episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you've got a clip of a teacher that you'd like us to review on a future Talk Back episode, please do send us a link and we will consider it. Don't forget, you can find all of our past episodes, our gospel presentation, our statement of faith, information on how to book us for your next women's event, and all our other resources at our website, awordfitlyspoken.life. So stop by and check it out. And until next time, don't just sit there and listen to false teachers. Talk back and walk worthy. Walk worthy.